You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. On this week's episode, we discuss the election of Canada's first Black Party leader, Anna Meepal, Canadian conservative love for Trump, a new progressive partnership between the Liberals and the NDP, the economy's rebound and the housing market being on fire. COVID forcing us to change phases. The plight of the Black woman in America. And what exactly is the deal with the Electoral College? This week, the Green Party of Canada elected their new leader, and she's a Black and Jewish woman of Jamaican descent. She is also the first Black woman to lead any national party in Canada. Mm-hmm. Anime Paul, a Princeton and University of Ottawa-educated lawyer, won the leadership of her party with 12,090 votes. <laughs> against her closest competitor, which was Dimitri Lascaris, who had 10,081 votes after eight rounds of voting. In total, 36,000 Green Party members voted for eight candidates. Anna Mee was widely seen as the front runner early in the campaign because of the $206,000 she had raised, as well as the endorsement she picked up from other prominent Greens. I'm sure it helped that she isn't new to the scene either. In fact, before running for leader, she was the party's foreign affairs critic. Before entering public life, she was an advisor at the International Criminal Court Patients and as a political officer in Canada's mission to the European Union in Brussels. She's also run bare grassroots initiatives and non-for-profits. So look, all this to say, she's a true intellectual. She's fully bilingual as well. And therefore, she is well qualified. Her first test, though, will be whether or not she can secure her seat. And if I'm honest, it doesn't look good for her considering the riding she's running in, which is Toronto Center, is a liberal stronghold. In fact, Bill Morneau won it with 57% of the vote just last year. And if I remember correctly, it's been won by liberals consistently with well over 50% of the vote over the past few years. So it also doesn't help that she's running against another prominent black woman in Marcy Ian, who's currently running for the liberals. But look, it sure does bode well for black people, the black community more broadly, in that no matter who wins of the two, our needs will be reflected. Thoughts on Anna Paul becoming leader of the Green Party? Yeah, I'm really excited to see representation at the top. I, I share your concern in her not being able to secure her seat. So hopefully that won't be short-lived in terms of her leadership. But it's really important to get some, some dynamic representation in Canadian politics. So really exciting. Mm-hmm. 
And look, despite the fact that, you know, Anime and I are different parties, I'm, I'm very happy uplifting her. I'm more happy, <laughs> quite frankly, uplifting her than I am uplifting uh, Les and Lewis, who ran to lead the conservatives. At the end of the day, Anime's policies are generally in line with my progressive values, your progressive values. Whereas, quite frankly, Leslin believes in policies that hurt the marginalized. I just, I just can't support that. By the way, a Leger 338 Canada poll came out showing that overall, 84% of Canadians prefer Biden to Trump. That's good. I wanted to share the breakdown of who favored Biden over Trump by party, though, because it's pretty telling. So like I said, 84% of Canadians overall want Biden to win. If you break it down by party, 94% of the NDP want Biden to win. 93% of liberals want Biden to win. 91% of the bloc want Biden to win. 89% of green voters want Biden to win. Uh, super weird that the number is lower for the Greens in comparison to others, but I know that there's some juicy <laughs> stuff coming up, so you have to drop that last party, Curtis. I mean, that's not even the party we should be concerned about. Exactly. Only 59% of conservatives want Biden to win. That That's wild to me. And look, I'm happy it's still a majority that want Biden, but that means 41%. 41 whole percent of conservatives want lion-ass, violent, racist, anti-women, anti-immigrant, anti-science, anti-decency Trump to stay in power. What does that say about the Conservative Party? Speaking of our political parties, I just love seeing the Liberals and the NDP work together. What do you mean? Well, as we know, the government decided to parole Parliament back in August to reset their agenda and to plot a new course because of COVID. At least that's what they said. Because they parole, they have to provide their rationale to a parliamentary committee called the Commons Procedures and House Affairs Committee, explaining why that prorogation was necessary. The Conservatives tried to get in front of it by calling witnesses and requesting documents related to the government's choice to have the WE charity run a multi-billion dollar student program. They wanted to prove the reason Justin Trudeau prorogued was due to the WE charity. Well, now they can't. The NDP said, nah, we don't need the smoke right now, likely because the governing liberals have come through on key asks that the NDP wanted, like 10 days of sick leave and an extended CERB and the Canada response benefit that matches the CERB since the Canada response benefit would have given Canadians only 400 a week instead of the 500 we grew used to through the CERB. The government isn't off the hook yet, though. The Conservatives are promising they'll keep up the heat, and the NDP, even though they squashed the Conservative effort, still say they also want further scrutiny of the WE charity deal through a creation of a new special committee that would examine WE and all COVID-19-related spending. So we'll see how that goes. Jobs are bouncing back. We even added more jobs than economists had been expecting, twice as many, in fact. Canada's economy added 378,000 new jobs in September, according to StatsCan, and almost all of the jobs were full-time. These new jobs numbers mean that Canada is within 720,000 jobs of where it was in February, before COVID. It seems like back to school had at least something to do with it. 68,000 educational workers, after all, got their jobs in September which also translated into many parents who were stuck at home with kids being able to start work again too. The question, though, is how long will that last? 
Just yesterday, for example, Doug Ford reinstated stage two measures to clamp down on COVID, which means we'll likely incur job losses again. And by the way, I'm not against that clamp down whatsoever. It's needed. We've also got to remember that the pandemic affects people unevenly, though. We spent the last few weeks talking about how women and, of course, the racialized had been deeply impacted through lost wages. Nothing has changed with these new jobs numbers. Full-time jobs being added back to the economy, I... I I don't know. I guess I, I I struggle with how that could be a bad thing, given how much precarity and part time jobs and, and gig economy we were we were working with um, uh, at the beginning of COVID and that we that we lost throughout COVID. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And I, I don't think there's anything bad about it. It's just a question of whether or not this is sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of COVID and its impact on the economy, there are calls for the government to have a, quote, fiscal anchor to basically know when to slow down spending. Honestly, though, patients, I say fuck that. Like, I don't don't want the government to have a fiscal anchor. I want them to do what it takes to help the poor and those in the middle class who are struggling. I don't care about inflation so long as the economy keeps growing because that means we have the resources to afford increased costs, which is exactly the system that exists in Scandinavian countries. Why are we still acting like there's no alternative to this capitalist system that creates haves and have-nots? That's that's what I'm concerned about. Can I just say that I'm proud of you, Curtis? Can I just- <laughs> what? Tell, okay, thank you. Why are you proud of me? Because I feel like this was my original position. Like, yeah. I feel like for, for years, and, and maybe from the beginning, like from... My, from when I took political science 101 in my first year of university, I have been wondering when we are going to to finally realize that this system that we're in, this model that we're in, is not the only option. I don't know. I, I've, I've been waiting for this day for people to kind of finally see that there is a way to build a country that has a strong middle class, that has a very, very small um class or a group of people who can't even like feed themselves or, or get a roof over their head. And like COVID has forced like places like the city of Toronto to house human beings. And Mm -hmm. that it sounds like, Oh, it's something that's so magical, but it's so normal. Curtis Mm -hmm. house human beings, put them Mm -hmm. inside. It gets negative 30 in this country. Like, Like that is evil. So I, I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you've just said. Those countries in Northern Western Europe have done a really good job at taking care of their people. And it's time for Canadians to do the same. Yeah, Canada has historically been between the United States on the one side, which is like a, you know what? I was going to say a capitalist mecca. It actually isn't. There, I mean, it is. But there are places that are worse. <laughs> They are? Yeah. Uh, uh, Malaysia is one example. Um, and there are a few others I, I can't quite remember off the top of my head. But anyway, Canada is stuck between the United States on one hand and places like Europe on the other. Europe just tends to care more for its people, whereas the United States, they care more about money. Yeah. And we've always been a mixed economy. What we need to do and what I expected to be happening faster under Justin Trudeau is that we would be moving more towards a European model. And and look, we are in clear ways, for example, climate change, but we still need to be helping our people better. Speaking of capitalism, it was the best September on record for Toronto home sales, 
with 42.3% more sales closing in September of 2020 than what happened last September. TREB, which is the Toronto Real Estate Board, says 11,083 existing homes were sold just last month at an average of $960,772. Yo, patients, are you a millionaire? Nah, man. The 14% year-over-year price jump was led by low-rise housing, while the condo market was slower. As of the end of last month, the board says home sales for the year were 1% higher than in the first nine months of 2019. What are your thoughts on all that? Although this is a really good economic indicator, you know, real estate, I I can't can't help but feel like the reason why so many homes were sold in September is because people can't afford their property taxes or their mortgages, and they just had to kind of give up. And, uh, you know, I, I personally have been have been quite blessed to be able to, you know, keep up with my mortgage payments. And, you know, because of COVID, I got a little scared and even saved up for, you know, to have a couple of months of, of buffer. Like, I, I can imagine that the, the, the gig economy kind of fell right into the tank. And if you lost a full-time job and a couple of side hustles, it, it would have been tough. And, and you may have made the decision to to do something else. So... Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully we'll learn more about what this what this meant for for Canadians. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we certainly will see. I mean, look, you know, you kind of touched on it. On the one hand, this is good for those who own property. You know, you and I own property, so this is positive news. Yeah, but I hope this is not at the expense at, uh, of many others. Well, the green revolution is becoming more and more tangible as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Premier Doug Ford, of all people, are rolling out half a billion bucks as part of a nearly $2 billion plan to remake Ford's Oakville assembly plant to manufacture electric vehicles and batteries. The federal and provincial governments are each chipping in $295 million bucks to mass-produce electric vehicles and the batteries that power them at the Oakville plant. The announcement is part of a three-year agreement that was announced just, you know, like I think it was like a, a couple of weeks ago, not last week, between Ford Canada and Canadian Auto Workers Union Unifor. And the OFO plant employs 3,400 Ford workers, which could have been lost. So this deal actually saved 3,000 of those jobs, according to Unifor head Jerry Dias. So this is very good news. This is overdue. I think... Uh... We've been losing jobs in the auto manufacturing sector for decades. Yep. Um, so, yeah. I, I personally live very close to the General Motors manufacturing plant that uh, very sadly closed just last year or in the last year. They've kind of been closing. Uh, so I, I think if this is the turn that Canada wants to make, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, hopefully it won't be this expensive the next time they want to uh, partner up with uh, one of the the auto manufacturers. But um, whatever, it saved 3,000 jobs. That's 3,000 people, you know, co- contributing to the economy in other ways and taking care of their families. So You bring up a really interesting point because I think you were kind of frowning on basically what is corporate welfare. Am I right about that? I, well, I mean, absolutely. Like, come on, because you're, you're going to say you're going to say that you know Canada Canada does too much for refugees. Canada does too much for indigenous populations. But really, if you put it 
you know, dollar for dollar, um, penny for penny against how much money Canada spends bailing out Bombardier, bailing out Ford, bailing out, uh, who's another one that they've been, you know what I mean? Like, come on. There's so much money that goes into supporting existing jobs in this country and people don't bat an eye really when it comes to saving those jobs and and those companies. But, um, often what has happened in those, in, in, in those companies is, is just being irresponsible Mm -hmm. for decades. We've known gas is out, electric is in and people just have not, been interested in investing in that way and have waited till they have to fire 3000 people and then go tell the government. And the government says like, no, (laughs) like do this instead. So, yeah. So I, I agree with you at the same time. I've, my thinking has evolved. I'll say to acknowledge that. I don't know. I guess this is just the way things are. Governments have to pony up some money and in order to get corporations and the business class to do stuff. And my, my thinking is as long as there is true cooperation and as long as obviously the, the synergy of funding being put together creates jobs and it, it helps improve people's life quality, et cetera, then I'm okay with that. I'm okay with a system where governments and corporations work together for the greater good. I just wish there was more, quote, welfare. <laughs> I wish there was more corporate welfare for actual small business owners. I see. Yeah. I, I, I would totally agree with that. Mm. Well, fundamentally, this gives a boost to our hurting auto sector. It also gives Canada an edge in the global competition to meet what's expected to be explosive demand for electric vehicles in the near future. And it shows that this government is serious about the clean transition. So all in all, definitely I'm here for it. <music> Well, on the same day that Ontario reported its highest ever daily number of new COVID-19 cases, Premier Doug Ford finally started listening to health and other experts calling for him to change his approach because the damn thing wasn't working. He should have made these changes from time, G. Like, legit, we were talking about how Dr. Davia was urging him to have COVID hotspots revert to phase two, and Doug responded with, quote, show me the evidence. Well, we got it now, don't we, Dougie? <laughs> we sure do. I mean, in fact, Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca said the decision to close indoor dining should have been made ages ago. This is a quote from him. A delay was never needed. Doug Ford should have acted weeks ago, but instead he lost control and is now scrambling. That's exactly what he's doing. So now Toronto, Peel and Ottawa are in a modified stage two as of Saturday at 12.01 a.m. That means gyms, the movies and indoor dining at restaurants are all canceled for the next 28 days. Casinos, bingo halls and conference and convention centers are also closed. On top of that, for the next 28 days, there's no more indoor sports and the max number of people allowed to gather indoors is capped at 10. Does this sit right with you, patients, or is this a concern to you? Well, my, my thoughts are, are varied in this respect because, you know, I live in Durham region. None of this is affecting <laughs> us. We're sitting here pretty. But then, you know, I, I, can, feel, I can feel people from Toronto trying to come east, fam. And nah. I don't want to see you at my gym. I haven't been to the movie theaters because that's weird. Why would I go to the movie theater? <laughs> I don't want to see you at any restaurant, although I barely leave my house. But, like, you know, like, don't bring this eastward scene. Like, Word. 
I need you guys to stay at home. You're being punished. <laughs> You're on timeout. You're on timeout. <laughs> stay at home. Take advantage of all the gig economy workers who are working for your skip the dishes, your Uber Eats. Tip them. Um, because this is like, you guys are out of control. It's out of control. But yeah, like I, I, I totally agree. It was like indoor sports. Like, come on. Like nonsense. Nonsense. (laughs) Burroughs furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So this week, we were a little light on Black news, but I thought we could do a deep dive on the plight of the Black woman in America. This week, we had some really interesting examples of of how this plight is showing up. The first was with Megan Thee Stallion in her SNL performance. And the second was in the way that Kamala Harris was treated during this week's vice presidential debate. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what Megan did as part of her performance, allow me to offer a brief recap. During the performance of what was undoubtedly her biggest song this year, Savage, Megan played an excerpt from Malcolm X's famous 1962 speech, Who Taught You to Hate Yourself? It played, which included the well-known statement that, quote, the most disrespected, unprotected, neglected person in America is the Black woman. Mm. That came after what, what we have spoken about on this podcast before, some news around the Megan Thee Stallion's treatment after uh, she accused or Tory Lanez was accused of having shot her in her foot. So there's been a lot of conversations about, you know, how Tory Lanez has been speaking about Megan Thee Stallion after that happened, but also how black men in general have been speaking about Megan Thee Stallion after she was victimized by, by a black man. Hmm. And then it was almost as if the showing of Senator Kamala Harris provided a perfect example of this legendary quote that Black women are disrespected, unprotected, and neglected. The debate, the vice presidential debate, left me thinking of of one line and one line only, Curtis. Do you know what that line was? (laughs) I think I have an idea. Mr. Vice President, I'm I'm speaking. Mm. And you got to get the look too, right? Yeah, exactly. Despite struggling to speak during a debate where what people do is speak, most people agree that Harris did a really good job of dodging the racist and sexist landmines that awaited her. She was firm without being considered emotional, angry, and nasty. So there you have it. Despite 
not being able to speak during the vice presidential debate. And despite Megan Thee Stallion being shot in her foot, these women continue to be savage and crush the competition. <laughs> Truly a great week. There you have it. Despite, a th- uh, you know, there's, there's, there's tough reminders that it is tough to fight the battle of a black woman in America. We still had two major wins this week. Any thoughts on that, Curtis? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I hear what you're saying and I, uh, I, I rejoice alongside with you because they were wins. I think that there needs to be more black men who acknowledge the plight that our sisters have and we need more of us to step up and, and start being protectors, start being supporters, start uplifting. Um, and there's no time like the present. There's no time like the present. Um, there's many black people, black men who have been, I would hope up until yesterday when the news came out that Tory Lanez was being charged, there was a lot of them saying, oh, well, separate the man from his music. And my response was, how the fuck do you do that when he literally documented his, his heinous acts in a fucking album? No, you don't, you don't disconnect those two things. That is who that person is, and he's trying to profit from it. You shut that down. So I hope that that mindset develops more amongst us as men. And uh, listen, let's see, let's see Kamala and, and, and Joe win this thing. And, and like you said, let's sustain the win that black women have seen this week. Now, that was a perfect segue, Curtis, because I want to move on to talking about this election that is taking place on Tuesday, November 3rd. Hmm. Allow me to begin by reminding you that when Trump succeeded over Clinton, he did not do so because he won the popular vote. He did so because he won the Electoral College. Now, for those of you who are maybe a little bit unfamiliar, when citizens cast their ballots for the president in the popular vote, they elect a slate of electors. And these electors then cast the votes that decide who becomes the president of the United States. Usually, and I'm going to say this again, usually. I'm happy you, you said that with some uh, oomph. Yeah, with some oomph. <laughs> because usually... <laughs> Electoral college votes align with the popular vote in an election. But in 2016, Clinton received 2.87 million more votes than Trump. I'm going to say that 2.87 million more votes than Trump did. Yet Trump received the majority in the electoral college, receiving 304 electoral votes and Clinton, 227. Crazy. I think a lot of us don't under, understand the, the minutia of detail that goes into some of these governing models. I, I mean, I, I know that because I, I did my undergrad in poli-sci, they kind of walk us through what it looks like to kind of have a direct democracy, a representative democracy, a parliamentary democracy. And, and what the U.S. has is, is, is a blend between direct and representative. And that's where the Electoral College comes in. Girl, you're being super polite because they have an oligarchy piece of shit over there. That's what they got. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> it, 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 it is, um, it, it, it's, it's problematic. There's some really serious issues with the Electoral College. 
And now my, my personal opinion after following this for a bit is that we are going to find ourselves relying on the Electoral College again in this election. Because the numbers are, are, are pretty close and we really need to look at eight swing states, Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Iowa, Michigan, North Carolina, Arizona, and Wisconsin. We need to look to these eight states to, to find a winner. And right now it's neck and neck. I'm talking 48 to 49, fam. Like, it's crazy. And even though Biden is kind of running on a 10% lead nationally, where he's at 50.7% of the vote and Trump is at 41.2, that doesn't mean anything if the Electoral College in those eight states decides to give it to Trump. Mm -hmm. So... I just wanted to remind everybody, if you have a cousin that lives, that lives in one of those states, <laughs> we, we need to, those eight states need to be definitive blue, you know, Biden wins or else this is going to go to Trump because for Clinton to have secured 2.87 million more votes in 2016, when uh, it was going from, from, from a democratic like it was a democratic um, stronghold, I think it will be even more challenging to swing it over if we don't have at least that many um, more votes. I don't know any 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 thoughts. I mean, you you've said your your piece about um, about about the oligarchy, but do you, do you have any thoughts on the 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 system, like the electoral system in the United States? Basically. If the Electoral College does not vote in line with the popular vote, um, I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be safety from violence around the U.S. election. Couldn't agree more. Could right? not agree more. Especially because, uh, you know, I've seen headlines here and there talking about how advanced voting or, or mail voting has been at a like feverish all-time high and what that typically means is that people want the incumbent gone i'll say that again hmm. advanced voting is at a ridiculous level an all-time high which typically means that people want the incumbent gone so if the electoral college gets in the way of that there's gonna be some hell to pay i don't know what that looks like yet and i don't want to see what that looks like so i just hope joe biden wins yeah. And I don't know about you, Curtis, but I was looking forward to another circus themed presidential debate on October 15th. But... <laughs> it looks like the looks like it's canceled. Yo, the man has COVID. No? Zoom is always an option. Like turns out like it was officially canceled on Friday, a day after Trump, of course, rejected a decision by a nonpartisan commission that was organizing it to change its format to a virtual event. To, of course, guard against the spread of COVID because, honestly, like maybe let's take a second to talk about how this man is still going to work while he is well within the 14-day incubation period wow. of COVID-19. Can we, can we talk about that? or I mean, I'm happy to. Because how are you telling Biden, who's older than you, who, are, who is 74 years old, that you want an in-person debate where you can just... Put all your your particles, all your particles in the air. 
So I have, um, it, it's, it sounds so ridiculous to the point that you're laughing so hard and otherwise I'd be laughing too. It is funny, but like the reason, or at least one of the reasons he's doing this patience is because he and his followers subscribe to a version of masculinity that says you don't back down no matter what, even if you're fucking dying. Hmm. Right? So he's trying to perpetuate this toxic masculine image. And where is it going to get him? I mean, we don't even know. I, I, we've already talked about the fact last week that we, we don't want Trump to die. We just want him out of office. But where is he heading with this mentality? Where is he bringing us yeah. with this mentality? We don't know. We, we need him gone, man. For those of you who are also looking forward to a circus-themed presidential debate, although the one on October 15th was canceled, you can look forward to perhaps uh, a final debate scheduled for October 22nd. Now over to questions for the audience. So we talked about the housing market staying hot despite the pandemic. Our question to you is, have you lost a property you bought due to COVID? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drift Deal. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.